Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Hot Saturday afternoon. Stacy Gunn, that's at Stacy Gunn 89. Stacy, how are you doing? Doing pretty well, man. Yeah, it's uh, this is the first really hot day. I hope I hope this isn't just summer from here on out. I hope we get a, a little bit more spring. Yeah, it would be nice because we had spring for like a week. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, it would be nice if it's not just 95 degrees and disgustingly hot. Um, yeah. All right. Well, before we get started, I do have to make an announcement. This Strickland has a Patreon. You can subscribe to it. There's a number of tiers. There's a $6 tier that gets you access to Pod Strickland every Friday that I do with Prez. You also get access to the mailbag that we do every other week with Jeremy and Drew. Furthermore, you get access to the Strickland Discord where the conversation never stops. There's a $9 tier that gets you access to Strickland Roll, my solo pod, where I just dropped a very fun podcast that I did with Danny Moran about the state of play in Portland. You also get access to wonderful weekly articles by Jack Huntley and Matthew Miranda, two of the best in the business. There's further tiers. There's a $15 tier, $30 tier, $50 tier, and a $100 tier. Those get you access to a variety of other benefits like live watch parties, merchandise discounts, listening in on pod recordings, and even potentially co-hosting a podcast alongside yours truly. If you choose to subscribe, thank you. And if you don't, that's fine, because none of this would be possible without you anyway. So, without further ado, let's get started. Um, I have a few things I wanted to talk about. Um, but I do, and I, I think this is worth talking about, uh, because we had a spirited conversation about it uh, in our Discord yesterday. And that is obviously... Bob Cousy versus Chris Ball. No, I'm joking. We're not going to fucking talk about Bob Cousy versus Chris Ball. Um, no, so Zach Levine, uh, you know, it's being reported that he, it's not, it's at least not a slam dunk that he returns to the Chicago Bulls. Uh, they obviously made a bunch of moves to be more competitive around him uh, over the previous 18 months including trading two firsts and Wendell Carter Jr. for Nikola Vucevic and then trading out another first and Thaddeus Young for DeMar DeRozan. Um, you know, I guess we can take this a couple ways, but the first thing I want to talk about is not necessarily Zach Levine himself, but I do think that this is, this is the exact type of scenario that I thought was in play when they made these moves that even if they had some level of, of success, um, that Levine would look around and he would, you know, look, they lost in the first, they, they didn't just lose in the first round. They got their asses kicked in the first round. Uh, Lonzo Ball, <clears throat> another one of their key additions last offseason, he has a knee issue, which apparently um, is still not, he's still not recovered from, which is 
truly worrisome, I think. Um, and, you know, I, I guess, like, for me, I just kind of look at the Bulls, and I think it was easy when they were winning to be like, well, see, the Knicks lost free agency. They should have made these moves to add more wins to their total and instead of what they did. And, you know, I just think that now that we're sitting back, you know, after the, the season has played out for both these teams, I think that there's something to the notion of sometimes the best moves you make are the ones that you don't make. Um, and obviously the Knicks didn't sit out free agency, but I thought that they approached it with a more prudent, level-headed mindset, uh, which is probably easier to do because they did make the playoffs last year. So that automatically kind of bought them a little leeway, I think, that they didn't have to be so aggressive. Um, and I just think that when we zoom out and look at the situation, like the where the franchise is as a whole, uh, and, and how Leon Rose has done on the job, I think he deserves. I don't. I don't want to say too much credit because you know the, the Knicks are what they're ultimately a team that's kind of in the middle of the league. Um, but I do think he deserves credit for not doing the type of thing that Chicago has done and over committing to establishing yourself as a mediocre team and. Yes, the Knicks have contracts and veterans that they need to move, but they're also structured in a way where moving them is not going to be painful, I don't think, for the most part. And, um, you know, I think they've also helped improve the overall talent base of the team, which we've discussed previously. Yeah, um, I think there's a couple of things I would probably... So, one... Would you say that Julius Randle and Zach Levine are stars on the same level? Yeah, but I'm lower on Levine than most people. I understand if... I think what I will say is this, though. Even if they're on the same level, Levine is a better asset, whatever you want to call it, because he's just an easier fit on more teams, whereas Randle is... Especially because the three ball left him. um, He's like a very... I don't want to say tricky because I don't think it's that tricky, but he's a very, like, there's a very specific kind of roster construction that can maximize him. Whereas Levine, his skill set travels very well. I mean, I I also just think he's just better at pretty much everything. Okay, Julius Randle is a better rebounder. Uh, I think Levine can actually play off ball, kind of what you're, I don't know if this is the exact point you're making, but it's not just that he can space the floor. Like, there's never seen a guy who can play off ball because he can shoot, like D'Lo, but isn't really a good off ball player. And a player like Levine, who is like he is an extremely high level offensive player. You can I, you can run actions for him off ball effectively. Yeah, and he's a decent enough passer. He doesn't really need to, like he is a very effective isolation player, but he by no means needs to play that way. He's he's a train wreck on defense, but I think he is that kind of a talent. Where the point I'm making is. Chicago, I don't think they had much of a choice, right? The clock was ticking, um, and they probably wanted to see just how far they could go with Levine. And um, I don't think they've really... So so that's when... I think they were in a tougher spot than the Knicks were. The Knicks came in... or Sorry, the, the front office came in. Randall, people want... Whereas basically the situation it is now, people wanted him gone. The Knicks had been awful. They had the kind of leeway to start from scratch 
Um, you know, they drafted and developed well. Credit them for that. But I wouldn't necessarily say, um, you know, they like avoiding. They, they've avoided kind of some stupid moves. But I think Chicago is in a position where they they kind of had to. Um, I think uh, for what it's worth, I mean, the DeRozan trade ended up turning out well for them. I give the Knicks credit for not doing that, but partly that's also because he's a terrible fit with Randall. Um, the Vooch trade, like that's more talent they've had in a while. And for all of, you know, them ending up right where they did, I thought they did a good job. I think Caruso and Lonzo surrounded that core perfectly. Uh, especially at the beginning of the season, they like when those two were healthy, their defense was way better than I expected. Um, and I think Levine was even engaged on that end. So I wouldn't necessarily fault them. I think the Knicks are in a different spot, but to the point, to the point where you, if you wanted to say, well, they didn't commit to mediocrity, I can't even say that necessarily. Uh, I'm not questioning the decision. I was in favor of it at the time. I think most people were, but the fact is they committed to a non-star after one contract year, uh, with it, with a pretty big extension. Why is Julius a non-star? Which I'm fine with. I don't think he's a star. Um, and Levine is a star. Like, that's where I just don't understand this. Because to me, this is not the NFL. This is not NHL. This is not Major League Baseball. If you are a star, you have outsized impact on your team's fortunes. And I'm not saying Zach Levine should be leading this team to championships. Obviously not. Um but he has not proven at any point in his career that he tangibly improves his team at a level where he lifts them. Like, this has never borne out in his career. You can look at it every single year, the on-off, the on-court rating, whatever you want to use. He has not been that type of player. So, like, I agree with you with basically everything you said about his offensive skill. Like, he is a tremendous offensive talent. But to me, there's a difference between are you a tremendous offensive talent and are you a star? And if you are a star in this league, you need to be elevating your team to a certain level. And the only thing he has achieved in Chicago is prior to this year where they, and I, like, whether I agree with their decisions or not, it was very obvious that they would be a better team this year than they were last year, right? They were better than I had expected, although I think there was some flaws to think, that. I don't think you can understate the impact of or over. I, I always get mixed up. I think Benji corrected someone with, <laughs> whether you can overstate or anyway. It was really a big deal that they lost Caruso and Lonzo. Uh, I think it, that, it is. Yeah, it was. And they looked it's, like it's, a contender early in the year, and I don't think that was fluky as much as I'd like to say that because I shit on them before the season. But. Yeah, I. So I guess where I disagree is I do think it was fluky. Um, I, not in the sense of like, were they, like, they weren't running hot in terms of like, they were getting lucky, but I think, I thought it was fluky in the sense of, I still had zero faith in them to compete in the playoffs. Because I'm just looking, like, at a very basic level, and I know this is not maybe how people should do it, but this is how I always think about it. At a very basic level, or if you're three best guys, are DeRozan, Levine, and Vooch. I just don't take you seriously in the playoffs. And, like, it's cool they had a nice regular season, but we've seen in this playoffs and playoffs previously over many seasons that regular season performance often doesn't indicate you're a true contender. Um, and, like, just just to circle back to the um, points you were making, like, the other thing, I just, I guess for me, like, it's not 
that the Knicks didn't commit to mediocrity. That was probably the wrong way to put it. I think they approached it in a much more reasoned and measured approach. And I will push back on this. I don't agree that the Bulls were in... I think the position they put themselves in, like they put themselves in a position where they had to make these moves and they had to be aggressive and that cost them these assets because Arturis Karnasovas took off he took over as lead executive or whatever the fuck, executive VP of basketball operations for the Bulls, basically around the same time Liam Rose did. So he had, and he punted an entire year, that first year, with Jim fucking Boylan as his coach. That's his fault. That was his choice. That's his fault. They have sucked at development. He drafted Patrick Williams. Two years in, I have no idea what the plan is to develop Patrick Williams. There doesn't seem to be a plan. Um, and that's like, that is part of signing a, a player like DeMar DeRozan, who necessitates that you have really strong off-ball players, but players that are going to be playing off-ball. And that means, like, Patrick Williams, who I think, I don't know, would you agree that he was, I hate using this term, but I think we broadly understand what we're saying. Would you agree he was, like, a project coming into the NBA? That's not the term I would use, but he was someone who was not going to be an immediate contributor. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I hate using the word project because it's like, oh, wow, the 19-year-old kid isn't ready to play NBA basketball at a high yeah, level. Yeah, but he was super young. Um, I will say, uh, yeah, like there's other guys who have projects basically just taken for their tools. His production was good at Florida State. Um, his raw counting numbers weren't great because these, that's just what Leonard Hamilton does. He's he also stuck. came off the bench, right? For a yeah, but a lot of, like Scotty yeah, Barnes yeah. came off the bench, right? Like, yeah, 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 Leonard, yeah. Again, it's like he just has an assembly line of long last dudes, and you know, he, he 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 doesn't really play anyone over thirty minutes. He's like the opposite of Pibbs, I guess. And it's it's also like like freshmen there, like you're basically no matter how good you are as a freshman, you're coming off the bench. Yeah, uh, which is fine. Like, but my point is like he was a player who. He needed he a very, to be an immediate. Yeah. yeah. And and he also needed like I think he needed a very structured like this is the plan year one. This is the plan year two. Like and I just don't see any of that. And I don't put that on Well, he got hurt too, didn't he? He got hurt this year. But even when he played, like, I mean, I don't know how much of the Bulls you watched. I, I'm not gonna pretend I've watched a shit ton of the Bulls. I watched the Bulls more the second half of the season when they started losing, because that was fun. Um but but like he played very much an off-ball spacer type of role, right? There's, And I understand why, because if you have... And I think this is... And we, we will get to this. I think this is also probably a frustration of Levine's. If you have DeMar DeRozan, the best way to optimize him and therefore your team is to space the floor for him and kind of let him be point-forward type of thing, right? Um, and that's why, like, Vooch is a capable three-point shooter, but he's a better post scorer than he is a three point shooter. But we didn't see much of that at all in Chicago. Um, and I think like with Patrick Williams, it's just borne out as like they just have not, and he, and he has not had the opportunities to kind of rep out his game. You know, um, like we like you know we've talked about RJ Barrett a ton on here, and whatever our thoughts are on how Tibbs managed him. One of the things that was evident this year is like he had a lot of leeway to just kind of like do shit with the ball, right? Like learning on the job type of thing. And I think when you take a player that high in the draft, 
fourth overall, who is a toolsy player that is still working out kind of his offensive game, fleshing out what works for him, what he can do, how to get his shot, all that kind of stuff. You need to give them an opportunity to rep out. And I just don't see that pathway for the Bulls. And like, it's not just Patrick Williams, right? So since Karnasovas has been there, they've traded out Daniel Gafford. Is he Daniel Gafford, Gafford an amazing player? No, but he's a solid rim running big. Okay. They traded him out for Troy Brown Jr., who basically did nothing for them. Okay. They've also, they traded out Lori Markinen, who, in my opinion, is not anything special, but he went from being like kind of a, a source of scorn in Chicago to being a very solid starting piece for the Cavs. Now, does the roster construction in Cleveland benefit him more than, yes, all that is true. My point is, like, this is a guy who didn't really develop at all in Chicago. Okay. That's over four years. Not all that is not on Karnasovas, but he did have a year with him and, effectively did not do anything. Um, I do think that's a little bit... Sometimes when there's just bad vibes between the organization and the player, there's not much you can do. Um, well, but like, I think like, KP, that happened, his right? issue, like, But like, so I agree with KP, that happened, but... And I can't believe I'm going to say and, this. And Markman did have some... It seemed like he had some attitude issues. Yeah. Like, no, no, he, he probably did. But I want to say, like, I can't believe I'm going to do this. But with the KP thing... To Steve Mills and Scott Perry's credit, they um, they did fire the coach, right? And they did try to uh, massage his ego in an entire situation. With Chicago, like, they left Boylan with this guy for three years. And Karnasovas chose to keep Boylan for a year on the job. Even though and- he's Boylan mad. <laughs> The worst. You're literally the worst. Um, but like Boylan was terrible, and he he did a terrible job of development. He, he obviously him and Markinen did not get along. That was a contract year too. So it's like there's just all this stuff going on, and no, like the Kobe White. I don't know about you. I, I didn't love Kobe White as a prospect, but I did like him, and I still think he's like. I think he has some interesting scoring talent. If IQ was bad at basketball, he'd be Kobe White. So. I mean, I just think like Kobe White's the kind of guy who like. I can that totally, is a player I was pretty high on. He has a good mix of shooting ability, uh, handle, and I speed. like his speed. Yeah, his speed yeah. is we're, I, I really liked about him. But like, I still watch. He him was an RJ draft, right? I, I gave yeah, some thought yeah. at that point to yeah trading down and taking Kobe or even just taking him at three. So yeah, and I think like like I, I mean I can still see him having like a Jordan Clarkson type of like arc, right? Where he goes somewhere else. Hangs out on the bench, comes in, and kind of reps out as a sixth man type, which You're is like ending up like Jordan Clarkson. Yeah, yeah Jordan yeah, Clarkson yeah. had the opposite kind of arc where he right, came right. in really good and just was that. Yeah, that's it. yeah. But like, so like that is like, but like he's been there now for three years, and two of them under Karnasovas. Like, what is he actually better at? What is he developing? And I think at some point, like, and I I feel confident saying this as a Knicks fan, like, like because we have seen what shitty development looks like. And I'm not saying, like, this doesn't mean that if Frank had good development or if Knox had good development, like, they would be totally different players, right? But you could see how we manage them with shitty development. And you can go back, and there's so many young players the Knicks have taken, and they've done a bad job of developing them. But now that I think, you know, we've talked about this extensively, whatever our issues with Tibbs are and whatever our issues with how Leon Rose and the front office operate, I think it's very obvious that they have done a good job with development. Um, and like seeing that to me, 
and then comparing it to what has been going on in Chicago, like I fundamentally just think they are bad at development, and that is on Karnasovas because ultimately, like development is an organizational process. It's not just down to the head coach. It's not just down to. Well, what about Io? I mean, he was. Do you think that's just a scouting win? He seemed to become a pretty big contributor for a rookie early. In his what season. did you think of Io? Uh, I guess this, this, I, I don't. I remember. I think what we talked about him because he got connected to the Knicks like a night or two before the draft. Yeah, and I remember thinking like I liked Io in college, and I didn't. I was like, I, I wouldn't have hated if they took him with whatever, like the Deuce pick or the Rokas pick or whatever. I think you were lower on him than that. So I guess my question yeah. to you is like, what is the reason you were lower on him, and what did you like from him this year? Because my thought on this, you know, as far as his development is I just he's a guard who had 14 usage like I know that's a really reductive way of looking at it but like I just don't care like to me that's not a player who I can cite as a big development win I do think that like he did well in a very limited role and again that's part of playing with DeRozan Um, but like to me that's more of a scouting win and like this is just the player like did he grow yeah. throughout the year? Is he going to get better? We'll see. I didn't particularly watch him this year and think like where he started versus where he ended was very different. Yeah. So, um, so I mean, first of all, like I think that if you combine IO, I don't. I think the injury was kind of, um, you know, not great for Pat Williams. I think we could probably both agree that the scouting appears to be better than the development. Would you? Is that fair to say? For them, yeah, for sure. I mean, I guess like and they haven't made. I think they've had a good eye for talent, and that includes Kobe White, by the way. But um, I but, think, yeah, I think there's something there where like there's definitely some people in their scouting department that seem to have an idea. But it's like again, we've seen this with the Knicks. Like you can take the right player, but if you don't develop them at all, then who the fuck cares? But yeah, I agree. Well, the Knicks. I mean, for a while, the Knicks were taking the wrong players and not developing them. So, wow, this Kevin Knox slander is ridiculous. I, I mean, I'm sorry. <laughs> and sorry, that applies to Frank, too. Um, love Frank, but they did not. he should not have gone probably in the lottery, and they didn't develop them well. Going back to Io, um, so I was impressed with how he improved during college, um, but I did not, like, he didn't take a ton of threes, and he wasn't high volume. And I wasn't sure that like pull up threes or you know keeping defenders from consistently going under screens would be something he could do. And then I was like, can you really play him off ball? Has the size for it, but you know what you really loved about him was his ability to get to the rim and the free throw line. I was a little unsure about um, you know if if you could if, you know is he is he going to be as effective off ball? But if you play him on ball, you know he had some turnover issues, not the best decision maker. And didn't really have a pull up three point game at volume. Was that always a thing? Like, because his decision making always suspect to you? Yeah, and he improved a lot there. Um, I will say uh, the coach is kind of like Brad Underwood's kind of an ass, but he is a hell of a coach. Um, and Wasn't he the one? He, Michigan beat him when he was coaching at Oklahoma to, State. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Their offense was ridiculous. Yeah, that's when they had Jawan Evans. Before that, he was at Stephen F. Austin, where they had a couple of big runs and they were just known for like high pressure defense. Which I loved. They had a game against West Virginia, which was just 
basically 40 minutes of all full court press and they, they actually <laughs> outgunned West Virginia in that, which was impressive as a Huggins team, obviously. Um, going back, but so that's where I was like a little bit lower in IO. I was like, does he, like, what is he? Is he going, is he an off ball um, three point shooter? I wasn't as impressed on the defense as other people. But yeah, I think I'm, I'm still not either, by the way. But Prez really liked him. So that made me, because I think what Prez really, I think I probably undersold just how effective his ability to get to the rim is. But like you said, that hasn't quite translated. I think what's actually been more impressive is his decision-making. Like his passing has been better than I expected from college. But is that a development win? Is that a scouting win? I don't know. I don't think I'm ready to call them bad at development just yet, just because Pat Will was, that is just a, that is a long-term thing. In terms of him getting minutes, I think when he's healthy, they won't have much of a choice but to give him minutes. I mean, he's like the only guy that can play the four on the fucking roster. (laughs) <laughs> um, so unless you want to play Lonzo there, but um, so I think they'll. I mean, I think they'll be fine there. And I think in terms of the moves they made, they didn't really. I mean, they got another first back, right? Um, yeah, protective first for the marketing deal. Yeah. So they, I mean, they didn't. They it's not, they're not really inflexible, right? This isn't like one of those Knicks teams that's capped out at a six seed. I think I'd be. I mean, Levine, I think is making a mistake. By the way, if he wants out, you go back there. If you're upset that you're not the guy, well, DeRozan is probably on the downward trajectory of his career. Um, and look, when fully healthy, I don't think it was pure fluke. I think that's what you have to come down to. And I think it's a, I actually really think what they did was pretty creative. They gave themselves two high level defenders to surround Levine and DeRozan, who can both carry your offense in, in crunch time, as well as a five who gives them space. And then if Pat Will hits, uh, that really takes this. Like, I think, I think that they do. They have a more of a narrow path to success than the Knicks. Maybe that's the real trade-off, right? The Knicks have all of their options open, but as you said a bunch of times, at some point they'll have to commit to something. The Bulls have committed to a path where I don't see it as necessarily a dead end. Yeah. Yeah. So this is for me. Like, yes, they can improve, but we've seen this over the course of many years. I think that the, like if you don't have young talent and a bunch of it that can grow and like you know, DeRozan is 33 and Vooch is 32. Like what is the upside of this team? The upside is basically predicated on Pat Will and Io becoming well, especially Pat Will. I think Io can become a solid starter. Pat Will becoming um, like a high level three and D player, and then Levine and DeRozan being able to ride this out for another two to three years. Yeah, and I just like I don't even I just fundamentally don't see what the fuck that team does, especially in an East that is like like look, we can Giannis is in his prime. Um, you've got Boston who looks like they I mean I think they're the title favorites right now it's them or and their Golden stars State. are what 23 and yeah. 24 so. yeah and, and not just that right Grant Williams who I hate but it's like at the at the very <laughs> you least you mean the like, greatest player ever Grant I Williams? fucking hate that guy if I have to hear about his fucking spirit one more time <laughs> I'm gonna shoot myself like I need my brain to stop like give me a break with this fucking dude man He's so annoying. He just falls around on the floor. He's like actually worse than smart, I think. With like, kind of looks like chubby Kevin Knox too. Like his face is a little bit like. He that. looks like an utz fucking potato chip. I hate him <laughs> so much. Um, but like, like he, like he's what? He's twenty 
22, 23. Um, like, he's, at the very least, he's going to get better. Uh, so he's, like, a really solid rotation guy now that can be a really solid starter, and maybe he can be, like, one of the better high-end role players, like, elite role player talent moving forward. Um, Smart, I think, is 26. So, like, I don't think he's... I mean, he had an amazing game, too, but that's obviously not, like, what he is. Um, but what he is is a solid starter, right? Like, we've seen that now for years, um, despite his flaws as a shooter and decision-maker at times. Robert Williams is 22. Um, like, that team is young. Other than Horford, who are they depending on that's old? You know, like, Derek White's old, quote-unquote. He's 27. So, like, this is a team that's going to be around for a while. And fun, and I think you would agree with this. I think Tatum is already better than anybody Chicago has, and he's probably, he's going to get better. Um, so, like, what are you doing there? Miami is Miami. They always find ways to improve, to find talent, to trade guys. They're but they're not in. They're also in a little bit of a tough spot too. They're going to be paying Jimmy Butler thirty at at thirty six. Yeah, but fifty million dollars. They have Max Struess though. <laughs> um, who is who has? I mean, we're not. I'm not trying to mock him. He's been really good. I, I don't think either of us are. He's he's like a really. I mean, and they've been finding guys like that for a while. Uh, I do wonder if I was going to sign him, right? Like we've seen guys like Tyler Johnson and other guys who like shine on the Heat and then get a bag from someone else, and then or even the Heat and then they get traded. Yeah, like waiters, right? Uh, yeah, or like waiters. Um, but um. I just think I think what Chicago proved as a proof of concept early this season, where you have two high level score like even a team like Boston is going to have a tough time locking up Levine, DeRozan, and Vucevic. That's those are three very those are three tough mismatch. Uh, they're they're three mismatches, and then you have two good defenders who do all the little things those guys don't do. And Caruso and Lonzo, I think that bore itself out. And everyone's like, you have no rim protection. But it was kind of contagious, right? And they really he- heated up the ball. They got away with a lot of fouls, and I think I do think that hurt them, right? The, it, early, the, you had the the new foul rules. As the season wore on, the referees corrected that. So that's probably something I'm understating. But I like that proof of concept, and I think there's something to be said for the fact that putting yourself in a position where you can be a top four seed with the talent, like like the difference between them being a top four seed and us with Julius is, I do think Levine and Vooch and Duros and can be playoff proof. Like, there's something you said to just putting yourself... DeRozan and Vooch? DeRozan DeRozan and Vooch can be playoff proof. More Levine. I think Levine can. Vooch, I think, can. Yeah. Because it's it's still tough to match. Like, what you're saying on defense. Yeah, that's... I'm just just saying... I think think Vooch will be able to score in the playoffs. I think at this point, DeRozan is too. We're not talking about Toronto DeRozan anymore, but... I see... No, DeRozan... No, 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 no. This guy, let's 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 look at our good friend, Lamar DeRozan. Let's look up what he did in the playoffs this year. He did have a phenomenal game too, forty-one points and sixteen of thirty-one shooting. Here are his other lines: Game one, eighteen points, six of twenty-five from the field. Game three, four of nine from the field, eleven points. Game four, eight of twenty from the field, twenty-three points. Game five, five of ten from the field, eleven points. Like. He so it's is, two like meh performances, only one really awful one, and then I, twenty three on eight of twenty. These games were all blowouts too, by the way. The, the last three, especially, were all. Yeah, yeah, what I'm saying is, I think with Julius Randle, he shot what twenty eight percent for a series. He was terrible. Yeah, whatever it was, it was like thirty. Like I think DeRozan, Vooch, like they're going to score in the playoffs, and you have Levine. You have three guys. 
and you have defenders around them that can kind of that can help them out. And in fact, they were a really good defensive team for a while. Like I, I think that that was enough for me to say, all right, rolling the dice on that. I mean, because how else are you going to compete with Tatum and Boston and all of them? You need like young, high level stars. They have actually one guy who a lot of teams would take that bet on in Pat Williams. Um, but even without it, like in the meantime, they can be competitive. And who knows? Injuries happen. You hate to say it like that, but that's what happened for Toronto, right? They had Kawhi. They were built to do that for one year, and, and they had some good fortune, right? So, um, I, I, I don't. I, I think I get a lot of what you're saying. I think the problem, the problems they've had with developing young players, eventually that does need to get rectified. But I don't think this is like like they're in a way better position than a team like Portland or something. I mean, like, so this is my thing: is like they're in a better position than Portland, sure, but like. Are they? Like, I don't know, man. Like, and, and the thing was, I think this Vucevic deal, the Vucevic deal is absolutely terrible. It was a horrible trade. And it's just, it's going to get worse and worse and worse and worse over time. Like, whatever you, like, I don't, I understand why they traded Wendell Carter Jr. Like, it just wasn't going to happen for him. Oh, yeah. Oh, by the way, that's another guy that they completely failed in developing. Um, <laughs> Like, That's why you hate their player development. <laughs> it's but like literally, he went to he went to Orlando in a year and a half in Orlando. He's looked like a really solid player. I'm not saying like God or something, but he's a, a solid starting player in the NBA. And whatever, I don't care that they traded Wendell Carter Jr. for Vucevic. Right? That's kind of like it just needed to happen. It wasn't going to happen for him in Chicago. Okay, turn the page. You gave up a top four protective first, which turns into Franz Wagner, who, by the way, would be awesome for them. Like, would be maybe, like, you're talking about Blonzo and Caruso. Franz Wagner is exactly the type of player you want with those guys. Um, okay, so that, that turns into Franz Wagner, who looked really, really good this year as a rookie. And they oh, still owe another future one in, in and you correct me if I'm wrong, in the 2023 draft, which I believe is supposed to be, it's viewed as a stacked draft. Is that correct or no? Yeah. Yeah. At the moment, yeah. So they gave up a, a they gave up a first in a stacked draft because the 2021 draft was stacked, and they gave up a first in another draft that's supposed to be stacked. Like this trade is terrible, and Vucevic. I have no idea if he can scale up or be playoff. All I know is this motherfucker has never made it out of round one. He's never even sniffed. I don't think he, he's he's won one playoff game per series. Basically, he is he's not. Gotta admire the consistency. You do, uh, and him and our buddy Evan Fournier. Um, but like, he is not a guy who at thirty. He's thirty two years old. He's going to be thirty two years old next year. This is what he is. He's probably only going to get worse from here. DeRozan is thirty three years old. This is what he is. He's going to get worse from here, and. Tying your team to these players in a move to win now with a player like Zach Levine, who I believe is 27, entering his prime, um, like that's just not smart to me, especially not at the price it took to get him. And I, I, I guess like I just push back on it a little bit because I feel like you're minimizing the cost, especially on Vucevic. Like that, if, if the Knicks traded, let's say they had traded. Uh, I'm trying to think of a parallel. Let's say they traded, like, let's say they did the Vucevic trade. So they give out, they trade Mitch to Orlando and gave out their 2021 first and their 2023 first 
like, and it turned into the Franz Wagner and whatever the hell the next book. I feel like you. We'd be would, getting a thousand Berman articles. I think. I think you would be furious. I can only imagine if if we if we traded the pick that was Franz Wagner away, what your Michigan fandom would do to you. Um, like, I I think that trade is terrible. I thought it was terrible at the time. I think it's only gotten worse because Wendell, especially because Wendell Carter Jr. now looks like a solid starter too. Like that trade is terrible. And if you're like, for me, I look at their roster and I'm like, okay, well, how are you getting better, right? And I guess you'd have to say, well, they ha- they're going to have to make trades, correct? Well, there's Pat Will's development. Yeah, so I Pat Will's development. They have like he has a blue chip prospect still, I would say. So yeah, I mean, I'd I'd still like if the Knicks traded the 11th pick for him, I'd be pretty happy about that. Um, but like, like so, your bet is Pat Williams becomes good enough over the next two three years. That you can push into a contending level, but like it's like I just look around the East and I'm like I don't see it, man. I just think there are better teams. There are teams with more upside moving forward. Like I would bet on Toronto before them moving forward. You know, like I just think Toronto has a better understanding of what they are. I think they have a coach who, I mean, not that Donovan is a bad coach by the way. I think he's actually proven to be a very solid coach. Um, but I think they have a coach who obviously has a lot of equity there in the organization. Scotty Barnes looks like he's very good. Uh, you know, they, the Gary Trent Jr. move has been really good. They still have Fred Van Vliet. They have Pascal Siakam. Like, I like their talent more than I like Chicago's. And I trust their GM over Chicago's. But the problem yeah, with Chicago is... another thing, right? Yeah. And the problem with Chicago is, like, so the other, like, we can talk about Pat Will's development. But, like, other than that, they have to make moves in trades. Now, if you just pull up, like, you know, you you go to their, you know, pull up their contracts, right? Which I'm doing right now, and I'm stalling as the page loads. Um, like, these are their contracts, right? So they have DeRozan at 27.3. They have Vucevic at 22. They have, Vucevic is expiring, by the way, so they're probably either going to have to trade him or extend him. So good luck to them, but not really, because they can go fuck themselves. Uh, Lonzo is at 19.5 and then 20.4 the next two years. He has a 21.3 player option the year after that. Uh, he has knee injuries that are very worrisome. Caruso at 9, and then Patwell at 7.7, and Kobe White at 7. And it's like, uh, like those are your contracts, and you're not going to trade DeRozan. You're not going to trade Vucevic, probably. Or, I mean, maybe you trade Vucevic, but God, how bad would that trade look now? Like, to make trades, to upgrade the roster, you have to move out guys that are, like, part of the rotation that you were talking about that, like, looked really good to start the year. That's that's it. There's nothing else you can do because these, these numbers just don't add up otherwise. And so, like, to me, that's where I just look at what they've done, and I'm like, I just don't see the upside for this team. And even if I do, even if I can talk myself into it, I just look around the East. I mean, how many teams in the East do you think – I feel like there's so many teams in the East better positioned to improve via development or trade than them. Including the Knicks, I would say. Yeah, I, I 100% think the Knicks are in way better shape than them. Um, you know, but like, that is, again, a part of our flexibility. I guess here's I, I agree on a lot of, like, they didn't get great value and everything, but they had a star that was probably going to demand out. And I don't think they could afford to be go through. They've been bad for a while. I don't think they could afford to go through another reset. and. They did what they had to do to to keep them happy, and if that backfires now, I think all of this looks even worse. But yeah, 
So I can at least understand it, and I don't give the Knicks that much more credit for being can like, yeah. Secret. The NBA playoff action is nonstop at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. This week, new customers can bet just $5 on any team to win and get $150 in free bets if they do. Looking to turn a small bet into a big payday during the NBA playoffs? With DraftKings Same Game Parlays, you can do just that. Create your own parlay by combining multiple bets, like which team will win, total threes made, total rebounds, and more. And boom, you have a shot at an even bigger payout. Right now, all customers can place a same game parlay with three or more legs and get a free bet back up to $25 if one leg doesn't hit. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code TBPN, bet $5 on any NBA team to win their game, and get $150 free bets if they do. That's promo code TBPN, only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Minimum age and eligibility restrictions apply. See show notes for details. So can I, let me ask you a question. Let's assume, I think to some extent, there's pressure from ownership to like do something on the court. So yeah. like, but let's say that there wasn't. Okay, so let's just say Karnasovas is like allowed to do whatever he wants. Do like, do you think that, because I, 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 I think I've said, that, I said this at the time. I thought they should have traded Levine and just hit the reset button and gotten, because I think if they traded him at last year's trade deadline, so not this, this past season, but the, the season the Knicks were good and made the playoffs, that trade deadline, I think they would have gotten a haul for him. And I wonder I thought, if they could have done the, you know, if they could have gotten KCP, Kuzma. <laughs> no, I'm serious. That would have been a better trade for both teams, right? I, th- I thought you were gonna. I thought you were doing the uh... the Westbrook trade. I'm exactly saying that. What if they instead of the Lakers trading for Westbrook, what if the Lakers could have traded that package for um, for Levine? Yeah, maybe. I mean, I just think they could have gotten even. They could have gotten. They could have gotten more value than that. But even that would have been if you if you have DeRozan and then you surround him with Kuzma, KCP, and you have Vooch, Like that's actually not that bad. Yeah, I just I just like think. I guess my question is like. If you were the GM at the 2021 trade deadline when they got Vooch, so that's when they traded for Vooch. If you have the choice of like you either trade the lean or you've got to start making moves to to get better, to, to really put your team in the playoff picture, like I would have traded Levine because I just don't think he is a player worth like like what? You know, like especially but with, you're but at that point you were talking about a 25 year old putting up like close to 30 points in five and five. Yeah, he was 27, five and five, right? I think that Yeah, year. 27, five and five, 25 years old. It was very efficient, over 60%. True but isn't, so isn't, but isn't that the best time to trade? Like, th- this is why trading is so hard. Because, yeah, have, but also those are the kind of trade. players that you try to get. And we can talk about the defense a lot, but we've also seen players, D'Lo became a good defender, Booker became a great defender. Um, you know, we've seen toolsy guys pick it up, right? So I think it's easy to, like you say, this this is the kind of guy you teams tank for to get that kind of a talent, right, in on offense. And if we surround him, on a put him on a contending team, we unlock the defense, and then he becomes that star that we're really looking for. I think that's, like... So I, I, uh, and I would be fine with that if I if they did something to put a contending team on the floor next to, around him. But, like, to me, you trade for Vooch, you trade for DeRozan... These are not players that help you contend. They're they're players that help you win regular season games, 
They're players that will get you to the first round of the playoffs, and then they are players who will lose in the first round of the playoffs. Like that is right, the team. But they if, have been. if you can get there, and now you've and now you've also surrounded him with some winning role players, and the idea is that Levine makes the kind of leap that Booker did as an all around player. I don't think that's the worst. You know, I don't think it's the worst. But it, in hindsight, it doesn't look as great because perhaps Levine just isn't that guy. But at the time. Um, there have been teams that have made worse bets. I mean, the bet that Washington has made with Beal looks even worse than that. Yeah, it's terrible. But, like, I also... Like, to me, they're just teams where... Like, like I think if they're, you're not the Lakers at this point and you have a star of that caliber, it's tough to move on from them. Just, and I think that is where a lot of teams are mistaken. Like, I, the hardest thing to do is accept that building around a player who might be very, very good that's you have to give Scott Perry and Mills credit for the KP trade there. But yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I I will always give them credit for the greatest trade of all time. No, um, but like they <clears throat> they picked the hard choice. The hard choice was trading KP. Right. The easy one was keep him at maximum and figure it out. And like I just think more teams need to accept fate faster than like pushing down a path that doesn't make sense. So. Like, and there's, and this is a very variable scale. Like, this is not uniform. So, like, I'll, I'll put it this way. I have a lot of reservations about Trey Young, right? I, I really don't know if you can, can, like, win a championship with him for a variety of reasons. Is he the, would he be the worst defensive, defensive point guard to win a championship if he did? Tony Parker, maybe, and like early on? I think Parker, there's no, Parker was definitely better on defense. Just because like, later in his career, in the, the first, in early, he was awful. Yeah, but like that that makes sense. But his awful wasn't so much about not trying. He just didn't know what the hell he was doing. Uh and I just feel like like Trey is very, very apathetic. Anyway, my point is more like and I I think yeah, I think he might be the worst. Um but my point is more like But they have not they're not like all in, right? They didn't trade a bunch of picks. They they still have avenues to improve the roster. And he's super young. He's what, twenty two, I think? Um like it makes sense that even if you have reservations about him, to continue to try to like figure it out with him in in the mix. Right? And he is a better offensive player probably than even Levine was. Right? Oh, for sure. I mean, he's, right? If you're just talking about offense, like that guy is what a top ten player. If you're just talking about offense, the NBA. That's being conservative, to be honest. Yeah, like, he probably has a case for higher than that, but yeah, yeah, and so. Like, I understand that, right? So even if you have reservations, I get that. Uh, an example of a team that I don't understand keeping any, like, keeping things going anymore is Utah. Like, they made their push to try and put a contending team around Donovan Mitchell, right? They traded a bunch of first, they traded whatever, they gave Conley a contract. Like, that team is broken. And yes, they could trade Gobert and try and retool around him and, and try to make this thing work with Donovan Mitchell. But, like, that shit is only worth it if you were, like, a Luka Doncic. Like, Luka Doncic is so good that the Mavs have royally fucked up the first three years of his career in terms of adding talent around him. I don't think this roster this year even has much talent, but and and they have hamstrung themselves by trading the two firsts that they did for KP and all this shit, and 
it really shouldn't be as good as they they shouldn't be as good as they are, but they are because Luca is that singular of a talent. And if you have that type of talent, I understand like you can power through a lot, a lot of failures. I don't think that is the case for so many players, and teams refuse to accept it when shit doesn't. Pan I mean, it's out. like quarterbacks in football, right? Like, uh, yeah, like some, like sometimes, like like it's not a crime to try to put a winning team around a player like Zach Levine, who me and you have different ideas of. I think we have the same idea. I think we both kind of accurately look at his talent. It's just. You put it higher than him. I do, I guess, by the better way to put it. Um, but, like, I understand trying to compete with him, right? I just think at this point, if you're Chicago, and, like, they don't really have an option because he's an unrestricted free agent, so he's going to do what he wants to do. But it's like, they might in some ways be better off, like, pulling the plug on this thing. Because I don't see the upside to competing. I do think that players like, especially like Caruso, if you trade Caruso, you will get really good value for him. 100% in a trade because his contract is good. He's on that deal for, I think, three more years. Like, I don't know what you're going to get for DeRozan. Probably not going to get a ton, but you can get something. I don't know what you're going to get for Vooch. Probably not going to get a ton, but you can get something. Like, that 2023 first that you traded out is gone. It's one to four protected, so whatever. But, like, it's gone. It's sunk cost. It's, it's over with. I think you have to make the moves that that make the most sense to build out a contending team. And I just think if they either if they, if they keep Levine and they keep going down this path of like, we have to trade shit to upgrade the roster, like you're not going to be left with something that is good. And you're going to put yourselves in a position that's very, very bad. Like, I, like just throwing assets and resources at something that just doesn't have a high ceiling to me is not an appealing decision and that's why I was so low on what they did last offseason because it's like okay what is your best case scenario and I just don't see a best case scenario for them where it's like yeah this is a contending team I, I just I really don't like even if like, even if Pat, Patrick Williams turns into a or Levine takes a leap I think that yeah. is still a yeah, fading I, possibility but it could happen yeah like but like if if Patrick Williams turns into a Jalen Brown level player, which is a really good player. But like, if he turns into a Jalen Brown level player, is that like, what does that actually do for them in the grand scheme of things in the Eastern Conference? You know what I mean? And that's not like a, that's like a, that would be a really solid development, right? Like, oh, you turn into an all star caliber player. That's not bullshit. But it's like, you, again, like, I just look at the East and, you know, we've talked about this and I feel even more strongly about this now. But like, you're, if you're building a team in the East, you need to be building it to match up with a Jason Tatum, to be matching up even more so with a Giannis Antetokounmpo, and to have, and like, you know, you watch Boston in the series against Miami, and Miami's a smaller version, I guess, in some ways of like what Boston is doing. But like, you have all these wings that are athletic and rangy and like switch across positions and all this kind of stuff. And I just don't see that, like, to me, that's... That's, what, I think, their view of what Caruso, Lonzo, and maybe Pat Will in time could be. And It's I, hard, I, though, if your stars aren't capable of that. Like, maybe Levine can, like, if he has the type, like... Yeah, I don't, I don't gonna, think... There is into traffic cone, and... Yeah. Which, I actually was improved, I was impressed by his defense early in the season. But it's, like, it's straight drop, right? Like, he's not gonna... He can't yeah. switch out, he can't do, like, aggressive trapping defenses or something. 
it's just like I don't know. I I, I really really like and, this and is when fun. these defenses like the Heat and the Celtics aren't predicated on keeping a rim protector there, then the advantage of a stretch five is a little diminished too, right? So yeah, I mean we're seeing it with Boston. We're like. I mean, I actually thought they benefited from Robert Williams not being on the floor against Milwaukee, but that like that's not about him. That's just a bad. I just thought it was like a good matchup for them to not to have, be like five out basically the entire time. Um, but like they can switch, like they they can play with the stretch five and switch everything. You know what I mean? Like that's such a crazy advantage. And to your point, like it basically nullifies anything any advantage that somebody like Lucevic would give you because they can't switch. Um, so I just, I don't know. To me, the Bulls thing is really, I don't want to say a cautionary tale because that's like really overdramatic, but I do think that the Knicks deserve credit for not engaging in that type of roster construction. And while they are far from perfect and they have a lot of work to do, they are better positioned to do that work to me then whatever's going to be. Like we'll see what happens out. with Randall. Um, yeah, if they bring back Tibbs and Randall next year. We're winning a championship. Uh, I'm going to sour a lot in them. I tend to agree with you, but I also think they've had, this is still only their what, third year. Um, they've had more leeway, and they were in a better situation than, and they didn't have the Levine. You know, it's a tough, it's a tough situation to handle, right? I think me and you both, I, I think, agree that Sometimes the wrong star can be kind of a, a burden. It's but also hard as a team, like, you know, how many perfect stars are there, right? Like, it just, yeah, sometimes it's, you again, just have to go for it. It's just like a franchise quarterback, right? Like, if you have Matt Stafford and he's not the greatest quarterback ever, sometimes you have to just, yeah, like, you can't just keep tanking until you get um, Joe Burrow or something. Um, but, um, but, yeah, I mean, I think... I'm inclined to agree with you, but I think the like Leon Rose walked into a little bit more. He was in a more he's in a more fortuitous situation, and now he's not as much. Um, so it's going to be interesting to see what they do going forward. Yeah, it, it will be. Um, so to switch gears a little bit, um, do you uh, you know with with the, so the Knicks have the eleventh pick, obviously? Do you? feel like is there a trade of the 11th pick in your opinion like that makes sense and I mean and I, and I mean specifically like if like, what is the best caliber of player you think they could acquire with the 11th pick and is that a move that makes sense for them on any level what is the best yeah, like who? Yeah, like who do you think is the best player they get? Like, let's just say, let's just say, for argument's sake, they could get OG Ananobi for the eleventh pick, or that type of player, that that caliber of player, whatever that is. So that's like a solid starter, but not a star. Is that fair to say? Yeah, I wouldn't trade the eleventh pick for that. Uh, OG is a specific special case because I think there are a lot of people that would buy the long term. Because side. Terry's likes him. <laughs> is that why he's a special case? <laughs> um, I, I mean, he's what twenty three. Uh, I think he's twenty four. Let me check. Uh, he is twenty four. He's starting twenty five in July. Yeah, so twenty four year old, twenty five year old, who has some offensive upside, 
he is specifically the kind of wing defender the Knicks sorely need, given the conversation we were just having. Um, he would be up there, but like if it was the same version of him at, at like age thirty, like I wouldn't trade it for Jake Crowder, even though Tibbs probably would. So <laughs> I, I'm not kidding. <laughs> I, I, I know you're not kidding. That's why it's funny. <laughs> Um, but like, it's like, so would you, tra- if, if Toronto calls you, they're like, we'll give you OG and over for the 11th pick. Would You would do that. I probably would. Yeah. Okay. Well, well, hold on. What's his contract? Uh, so hold on. I'll pull it up right now. I believe he has like three more years on that contract. Is that, I don't know why you signed this fucking thing. It's just a really stupid deal. His agent. Should fire him. Uh, yeah, so he's eighteen. So it, yeah. Well, his agent is Omar Wilkes, who represents Clutch Sports. So Rich Paul probably has no idea that OG and Obi is even his client. Um, yeah, so he's got three more years in this contract. It's seventeen and a, seventeen point three, eighteen point six, and then twenty. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'd probably do that. You wouldn't, I don't think. But yeah, I, I don't like. It's really hard because the odds are, just historically, odds are the 11th pick does not have as good of a career as OG Ananobi, right? Like, that's just looking at the results of the average 11th pick and what OG's career has been to date, which, like, look, he's missed a lot of time. Um, He only played 48 games this year. He played 43 last year. This year, over the last two years, he's averaged... 16 and a half, five and a half rebounds, 2.4 assists, 1.5 steals, 0.6 blocks, 46 38 splits from the field, 77 from the free throw line. So, pretty solid player. Um, obviously, he's a really good defender, too. Um, I guess, like, what I don't know, and this is not like, uh, I'm, I'm not advocating for one way or the other. I'm just kind of openly asking this. But I don't know what is the actual... Like, what does trading for OG Ananobi actually do for the New York Knicks? Like, it gives the it, Knicks a young, cost-controlled role player at a very difficult niche to fill. As, like, the 6'9", switchy wing who can also create an offense. And is that more valuable... In towards the ultimate goal of building a contending Knicks roster, is that more valuable than taking a shot on somebody at the eleventh pick? Like as an example, I guess you know. Here's a, I'll ask you this: Would Memphis be better off if they had traded the Zaire Williams pick for OG Ananobi? Like, would they be closer to contending if they did that? Uh, we're not Memphis, but I would say absolutely yes. That's me. I like Zaire Williams. Uh, I don't think he has superstar upside. Zaire? Uh, I think he has very good shot-making upside. Um, but, yeah, you, that- added, you added OG Ananobi to that team. They already caused a ton of problems for Golden State in that series, by the way. Mm-hmm. You, you throw him in there, um, you know, another guy to throw at Steph and Poole. Um, I think that could have made a difference in that series. So, 
you said superstar or star, whatever. I don't think we need to be too yeah. picky about it. Is there a player with the 11th pick in this draft, somebody in that range, that you think has star upside? Can we? Sorry, I am going to be <laughs> thinking about this. Top 25, top 30. Okay, so superstar, I, I don't think you're going to get that 11, but superstar to me is like MVP caliber. Player. Yeah, like Luca, yeah. Tatum, whatever. Okay. Is Tatum even that? Yeah. Yeah, I think so. I think so. Uh, star is. Is Van Vliet a star, I guess? Is that no. the lower down? Van Vliet no. is not a star. No. A star to me is you are perennial all star competing to be all NBA. Like Julius Randle. Yeah, like Julius Randle. I mean, Julius Randle. 2020-21 version is a star. Not a yeah. superstar, that's a star. Um, so, yeah. That, is there CJ, somebody that you see... CJ isn't... So, like, I guess the worst star player would be... You could say Donovan Mitchell, maybe. That's exactly the name that came yeah. to mind. Um, okay. Um, who is a guy... Then I, I'm sorry, as much as this is going to hurt Omar, I don't necessarily <laughs> see that with Johnny Davis. Like, that's, like, to me, like a 5%. That's not a knock on Johnny Davis. I see him being closer to the Van Vliet level of player. Um, not to say he's like Van Vliet, but just that level of impact. Um, that's tough. Um, like a lot of the guys, I would say have like you know maybe ten to fifteen percent chance of getting there. But even like a guy like Usman Dieng, who seems to have a very high you know like six ten, can handle, can pass can get to pull-ups even though the shot isn't falling. Yeah, maybe he would be it. So I, I'm going to name some... a swing, and he's, he's pretty broad. So yeah, go I'm going to name some names, and I want to tell me if you think they have star upside. And I guess every player has star upside, but let's say they ha- has like a 10 to 15% chance of actually yeah. becoming a star. Right? Yeah. Dyson Daniels. No. Benedict Matherin. Yes. Jeremy Sohan. No. Jalen Duran. No. Uh, Tari Eason. Yes. Malachi Fuckface Branham. <laughs> um, no. It's kind of in that Davis mold. Uh, that Dyson Daniels one is the only one I'm really iffy on right now. Going back and forth, but yeah. You said yes for him, or you said no? I said no, but I don't know. I want to talk a little bit more about him, uh, but yeah, so save the save your thoughts. Uh, EJ Little? No. It's Liddell, but also he went to Ohio State, so fuck it. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and I, th- I know you really like this guy, I don't, so I'm curious about your answer on this. Kennedy Chandler? Not fifteen, not ten to fifteen percent. There is like, there is a world I could see, and this is, you know, people are going to kill me for this. There is a world I can see him turning into like Chris Paul, but that I, is like less than a five percent chance. I like him more than Ty Ty, for the record. I, I like him a lot more than Ty Ty. Yeah, uh, and the last one I'll ask you uh, is, I well, okay. I especially like him more than Ty Ty for this team, but I think that he's a better prospect too. Torquavion okay. Smith. Yeah, he does have that potential. Ah, uh, I mean, I think he reminds he reminds me a lot of Simons. That's like you're in Prez's but, wheelhouse. But 
All right. Do you think Emmanuel quickly has a 15% chance of being a star? Yeah. 10 to 15% I do. chance? Yeah, I do. I, I probably would be aggressive. Of being as good as Donovan Mitchell. That's what we're talking about, right? Yeah, I, I think he has that chance, 100%. I strongly believe that. But Smith is a lot like him. Better athlete, actually a worse finisher somehow. How does he weigh 165 pounds? I don't know, but <laughs> the, do you know, side note, do you know who John Butler is? Uh, I have seen his name. I have no idea who he is. He is 174 pounds, and he is 7 feet 1. <laughs> <laughs> he makes Chet look like Zion Williamson. There's literally only one player in the NBA right now who weighs less than John Butler, and that's Bones Highland. No, it's, <laughs> yeah. Um, but I, he's actually one of my favorite prospects because he's like a killer shooter, uh, can block shots and moves like a wing. But anyway, that's a. All right, and then, and then the but last... Turk, I'll, I'll say yes. If, my, my, my thing is, if you think quickly is, then Turk should get a yes too. Okay. And then my last one I'm going to ask you uh, is Jalen Williams. Yes. Okay. So if I think how many? Sorry, you said Jalen Williams was a yes. Terquavion was a yes. Uh, how many did? Sorry, did you did you write? Sorry, if you. I'm, 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 I'm counting it out right now. Kennedy was a no, but you said he had a shot, but he was a no. Malachi was a yes. No. Brandon was a no. Yeah. Okay, so he's a no. Do you consider Middleton a star? Yes, hundred percent. Then I, I would say that. Then I. On a super underrated. Then I think that's a yes for Branham. I think he okay, can so be that level. Branham is yes. Tari was a yes. Yeah. Uh, Usman Jang was a yes. That's five. I didn't even ask you about Mark Williams, but I don't think that's a yes for you. Um, is Gobert a star? I'd... Yes. So Utah has the two worst stars. They're like the perfect team for us. <laughs> <laughs> then you'd have to say, I mean, it's not just the measurables. So you would say yes for Mark Williams? Man, I think he sneakily has a little bit more upside than Gobert as an offensive player. I don't even think it's sneaky. I basically like just gushed about him on our post lottery pod. Uh, okay, so that's six. That's six. You said Johnny Davis, no. Duren, you said no. Uh, yeah. Sohan was a yes. No. No. Okay, so that's still six. I think Matherin, he could be Boris Dio. Yeah, but okay. so Matt and Matherin was a yes. And then I'll ask you about him because I've actually seen him in some mocks drop in the next. AJ Griffin? That's such a wild card. I have to say yes, because if he gets back his high school athleticism, he's he should go top three in this draft. Probably okay. no one knows. Okay, so that's eight. That's eight guys you said that have legitimate ten to fifteen percent chances of becoming a star. Yeah. Don't you think that it's worth it to take one of those guys then? Over trading the pick for OG, and I, and if you don't, like, wh- why is that the case? Because, if, or, or, or do you think OG himself still possesses star upside? Yeah, OG probably himself has close to a fifteen percent chance of getting there, uh, especially maybe in a team where he is asked allowed to scale up. That's one thing. He is he's kind of in the middle. If I'm not, here's the thing: we did expand the definition of star. Yeah, we did. and as we've seen with Donovan Mitchell. Um, that does not guarantee you a championship. And some of the things that you need, you do need three-level scorers. You do need those kind of elite gravity guys. But you also need wings like OG and Anobi. Um, 
you need the we just talked about you have to prepare for Boston. And acquiring a guy like OG is is what helps you prepare, well not just for Boston, but his other his for his current team, which is also assembling ten thousand massive wings, right? And and OG to he's played well against Boston too, so it's not like some theoretical thing. Yeah, because he he is the perfect player for that. So that's why in his specific case, but if it was like for and I guess to your point, maybe you know, is if it's for I'm struggling to think of even guys that would be available. But if it's someone, well, Buddy Hill's a bad example. But like, I wouldn't trade for Brogdon, obviously, right? Mm. Because that doesn't, not only is he not a star, he probably doesn't have the upside to be one. But I don't think what Malcolm Brogdon gives you solves the problems we talked about that are, or, you know, in terms of preparing to, to go up against those teams. Right. Okay. So now that we've shifted into draft conversation, I have some questions to ask you. Because this is my scouting, so my scouting for the draft is basically the one pot I do a week with you and the one pot I do a week with Prez. And 10,000 DMs from Prez. <laughs> All about Johnny Davis. Actually, this I, I want to start with this, because I thought this was interesting. Do you have Johnny Davis ahead of Benedict Matherin? Yes. That's, ooh. So I just want to ask that, because you said Matherin has a chance to be a star, but Johnny Davis doesn't. So, but you think the average outcome for both, like so, the most likely outcome for both, puts Johnny Davis ahead of Matherin. Yes. So, can you expand on that a little bit, like what the differences are between them, and just why you think the average is better for Johnny, but the top end outcome for both Matherin clears him? Yeah. Um, I hate starting with this because I do think his athleticism is underrated. Johnny Davis is a plus athlete. Um, I think he's probably close to Quentin Grimes as an athlete. He's probably got um, better functional athleticism in terms of shot creation. That is unquestionable. But I'm talking about even Vert. Like people are like, he's limited as an athlete. That's bullshit. But do I see Johnny Davis being able to, you know, the kind of the kind of guys who get up to 25 points per game? If we're putting down on Mitchell as that floor. I think just not like Benedict Mather, and even for someone who likes Davis, does have that athleticism, and he has a pull-up game from three, and he showed the ability to pick and roll and make, you know, good reads. Uh, he's still improving there, um, so that's why I would say who has the better chance to be a star. Even though I don't think either of them has a super high chance, I would say Mather. And why I like Davis overall is that I can still who do I think has a but, and that's that's why I asked like Van Vliet, right? Who has a better chance of getting to Mitchell level, I think, is Matherin. Who has a better chance of being, or a, a range of outcomes that, that are more likely to be in the Van Fleet range, or, or even like the Lonzo range, that's where I'd give it to Davis. Because it's tough not to see him being able to score at three levels at the NBA and be a high-impact defender, uh, even as a guard. And the defense, to me, on Matherin is still a question. Um, he does have better athleticism than Davis, but he couldn't pressure the rim the same way. Um, and you know he's got a he's got a he's got some shake and some you know some some moves, but does he know who he is at the elbow? <laughs> yeah, um, he definitely has that Hooper game. But then the other thing is that you know if you're if the the sub elite stars or that range of players also almost all add value on defense, right? Unless it's a player like Levine who's super one dimensional and Matherin for all his gifts, 
was not that great a defender. Prez has pulled up some stats where, you know, when it comes to defensive rebounding, blocks, steals, like events generation, like in, in defensive box plus minus, he was, his impact was very, wasn't what you would expect given his tools and where he's expected to be drafted. So why, that's why I have Davis out of him because the vast majority of outcomes for them, to me, see, shows Davis being like, yeah, like a Van Vliet level player and Matherin being more like, um, more like a, a high, uh, you know, a, a shooter who can a shooter and scorer who is kind of a mediocre defender. But there's a version of of Matherin that really scales up, and he's the guy you want the ball in your hands, and he's yamming on dudes, and he scales up his passing, and he's a primary guy. And if he becomes a primary guy, that's beyond what even I what I think Davis would bring. I just don't see that as you know, it's tough to bet on that from him right now. Yeah, um, I think it's weird. Uh, and again, I like to preface everything I say about the draft so that people know this. Don't actually listen to anything I have to say about the draft. Um, I think I'm higher on Davis's upside than you are, uh, and maybe this is just my Brandon Roy fandom. But like, I watch Johnny Davis and some of the shot creation and I really like some of it not not the playmaking he's got to develop as a playmaker for sure but his just shot creation the way he gets separation and mid-range and all that kind of stuff like really gives me Brandon Roy type vibe sometimes um I don't know if he has the same vertical pop that Roy did before his knees went but he's like to your point. Like I do think he has some vertical pop to him. He's not like a non-athlete. Um, but yeah, like I don't know. Davis is really interesting to me as an like if he's there at eleven, given the shot creation he's demonstrated and the scoring load he carried in college and the defense. And I like, there's something to be said for him being yeah, his, the defense culture and and his motor and how much he improved from being an unheralded recruit to this year and you know the what people have said about his work ethic he he fits perfectly next to RJ and IQ not just on the floor but in terms of that culture that they're building where these are guys that you just have to lock out of the gym and all that you know so yeah i just i think like i think he is one of the better star bets at that spot like and i it's it's weird because i just have to say this something about the Wisconsin jersey in and of itself just reduces how I view a player's potential. Most Did you see my tweet? I tweeted about this. I said, if Johnny Davis had Kentucky on his jersey, instead of Wisconsin, <laughs> people would be talking about him as like a, a limited athlete. Right? But it's like, it's, it's like, it's so true because Wisconsin is the most boring team ever. Their jerseys suck. Like everything about them is just extremely You associate boring. them with like six foot nine, slow footed, stretch, redheaded white guys, you know? <laughs> And so, like, I do think he's, like, very... I think he is slept on in terms of his upside. Um, I... I mean, to I, me, to me, Fred Van Vliet is in that... Like, I wouldn't split hairs. I would call Fred Van Vliet a top 25 player. So, to me, that is star upside. But if we're being a little more strict with that definition, then I think that Matherin's is a little bit higher. That's all. Okay. Now, I want to get into Dyson Daniels. Because I have seen a lot of gushing of Dyson Daniel, gushing over Dyson Daniels lately, and I don't know if I'm, like, I'm open to, to just completely being off on this. I get the you know the the size and 
playmaking upside and all that kind of stuff. I haven't watched much of him. I've just seen a couple of highlight clips and reels and stuff. To me, from what limited things I saw, I didn't... I wasn't particularly encouraged about, like, oh, man, I can see star upside with him. But a lot of people do. A lot of people, at least when I've you know seen the discourse about him, seem to be assigning a lot of, like, primary star-type upside to him. And I think that's dangerous because just because he plays as a primary ball handler in some capacity, like as a playmaker, more so than a primary ball handler, but he, he played as a playmaker, I don't think that means that he can grow into that level of player at the NBA level. I think he's going to be more of a connector, fun, kind of like you can use him as an offensive hub for small stretches type of dude, like somebody like a Boris Diaw that, I'm not saying stylistically they're the same or that they would, he would play the same, but somebody who can like help juice your offense with his playmaking at times, but isn't a primary or even secondary playmaker, you know? Um, I, so I'm just curious, like, do you, why is there star upside type conversation about him? And why do you not really see it with him? Yeah, so I think there's always going to be that talk when there's a six, seven, six, eight point guard. Um, you know, we saw that. I mean, we see that with everyone. We saw that with Lonzo. You know, there's uh, still you, people convinced. There are people Sh- convinced. Yeah. But. Do you remember Sean Livingston? Yeah. <laughs> do you know what his draft comp was on NBA Draft on it? Uh, Penny Hardaway. Magic Johnson. <laughs> <laughs> that is not even their worst draft comp. And in fairness, Livingston had other issues, but do you know who they've compared to Sean yes. Stevenson? Michael Jordan. <laughs> <laughs> I think his only weakness was he cares too much or something. <laughs> one of one of my favorite ones in college, because this is when I was in college, it was like I think it was the two thousand and seven draft. But like the top eight guys were all comp to just Hall of Fame players. I think Brandon Wright was yeah. compared to Kevin Durant or Kevin Garnett. <laughs> Yeah. Although I will say, I love Kevin O'Connor. I think he's a great, I mean, he got canceled this week. I'm not going to talk about that, but like his draft comps are starting to get a little bit uh, like, um, or like his shades of thing, which I don't know how much value that adds right now. The tie-tie uh, one is like manual quickly. quickly like, yeah. What? Which <laughs> is, um, but getting back to Dyson. So he's a six eight, six seven point guard. That's always going to have people. There's still people convinced that Lonzo can be a point guard. And I think, the pushback comes from can they get to the rim? Um, and I think for the most part, you either fix that or you end up being, as you say, a connector, which isn't the worst thing. Um, Dyson right now is... So what Dyson would have over some of those guys is that he's actually a pretty good athlete. Um, like, he can get up. Um, he's not like an elite athlete by any means, but he's a good athlete at 6'8". He's got good length. The ball handling is approving, and he's a guy that grew four inches. So, um, you know, he has some of those guard skills. Um, but he doesn't get to the rim a lot. Um, and, you know, Prez and I have talked about this. If you buy that he could one day pressure the rim a lot because of his athleticism, if he gets the handle right, that's the guy you're talking about as a star. Um, but betting on that, betting on a tough, on a 6'8 guy to really improve their handle is tough. But when it has happened, the payoff is great. You see, even Giddy is a guy who got the connector label from a lot of people. 
turned out they were wrong, it looks like, right? Even though he's still inefficient, um, he clearly can play with the ball in his hands. Halliburton was a guy that got the connector label because his handle wasn't great and he couldn't pull up. That has changed, right? Um, with Daniels, um, can he pull up and can he, or can he get to the rim? I don't know. And, you know, like, Prez has made this comp a few times, but if he, you know, if he doesn't, if he doesn't play on ball, he's 6'8 Caruso. To me, that's actually a really great player. That's <laughs> like, a really useful player, yeah. Uh, more than useful. I think that's like an elite role player, I would say. Mm-hmm. I agree. Um, but, um, but that's not the same as a star. It's just, I think a lot of people, they think about drafting a 6'8 point guard, and I think they overestimate just how high his upside is. Well, I think he's a high floor like- guy with enough upside. But um, but that's I don't view him that way. I, I think where I differ from Prez is if they took him at eleven, I'd be happy at that because they do need long wings, and I think a six eight Caruso would be awesome. So. I mean, we did this with Frank, right? That's effectively what we did. We like, oh, he's six five, six six, and like, yeah. But he Dyson is legit six eight. Um, he is a better ball handler already than Frank was. Um, Frank is, but um. And so he is a very cre- like he is com- more more comfortable with the ball in his hands than Frank was, um, and I think you know that matters. So, and he has more of a scorer's mindset. I mean, he he doesn't get to the rim a lot, but he takes he, he has a nice floater. Um, he's willing to shoot, and his shooting improved over the course of the season. So, um, like he's it's not that level, but it's also not um, it's less, and he's not like the kind of passer or creative guy that Giddy was. Right, Giddy was a much better ball handler and passer. Like Dyson is very capable, but not quite that. So, I think Lonzo's another comp, obviously, for for a lot of the reasons we mentioned about. Yeah, I mean, I, I again, I can't say I've watched him enough to have really serious thoughts about this, but uh, yeah, like I just my initial thought is like solid player that I don't think has the star upside people are talking about, but um, I think it's there. It's just a less probable outcome than a lot of people mm. think. And worth noting, our esteemed editor and chief, Alex Wolf, is definitely very much all in on <laughs> on Dyson. So yeah, he's are, a tools guy. And he does, uh, I thought you were going to call him a tool. but He is a tool. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so there's a range of opinions, and with most G League Ignite guys, I think it can be. We're, it's still a new league, so we don't know how to judge that. I mean, we, we have an idea of what that level of competition is, but you know, it's like we we've seen many years of college, and we now have a good idea of you know how Europe, European basketball might translate. But we're still figuring out with the G League Ignite and how what that means. So uh, you are going to have a range of opinions, and that's what part of makes this all pretty fun. Um, Jeremy Sohan. Uh, we don't mess with the Sohan. A lot of people li- like him. I don't, you did you list him as one of the guys with star upside? No. I see a lot of people talking about him like that, and I don't see it. I don't. I don't see it. Um, I also am really. I am like a very big. Um, like I never subscribed to the idea that defense doesn't matter anymore, which was like some weird notion that went around for a little bit. Uh, I, I think, you know, I love guys that are high impact defenders that project as such that are versatile on that end. I think he's going to be a good defender. I think that's for sure fair to, to project. I get really weary of players like him that get assigned this can defend one to five label. Because I don't, like, 
I don't know if people understand what that means. Jericho Sims. Yeah, right. But like, like really, like how many guys in the NBA are actually capable of defending one to five? Bam. May- yeah, Bam. Maybe yeah, like Giannis. I mean, Sims. I'm not. I'm half joking with Sims. Like he's shown that potential. Yeah, he's been really good when he get when he switches out. Switches out. Um, and he guarded Jokic and Embiid better than Mitch has. Um, yeah. But um, okay, so Giannis, Bam, um, Cam Johnson. No, he no. can't really guard fives. Um, I think that's it. Like I really think that's it. Maybe DeAndre Ian, but even that I don't really love. I, was like, I, don't... I think Barnes will, but he's still not someone you want in Embiid. Siakam? Maybe, yeah. I think he's also a guy that gets punished on switches against big guys. But like, OG's but... close to it, by the way. Yeah. yeah. But like the point is like that, right? Like there's, I don't like, like, it feels like a lot of the projection of him is based on that what if I told you? What if I told you there's only one or two guys in this draft who get that comp? Like I don't think it's being thrown around in this draft that much. It's not, and I but like I still I just don't like assigning it to any prospect really because I just think it's the bar for one to five defender in the NBA is insane. Like that means what you're saying is a player can he can defend Steph and he can defend. Nikola Jokic. Like, the, the skill set well, required... Oh, Draymond. Draymond is one. Yeah, Draymond will be one. That's yeah. cool. Uh, part of that is that no one really guards those guys, right? Um, mm-hmm. And it's not like you're gonna you're not throwing Giannis at Steph for an entire game. Maybe you would have if this was the 90s, but we don't do that. Um, so it's within a team concept. It's being able to hang with them on certain moves. It's also with the realization that no one really stops Nikola Jokic or Joel Embiid, right? Here's why I do buy that with Sohan. Um, he has the frame for it. 6'9", 230 with long arms. Um, he move. He has that agility. I think that's that's often actually the bigger thing is that guys with the size aren't quick enough, right? He does have that level of agility. Uh, he's not a great vertical athlete, but he moves extremely well. He's really smart. Um, and if he can't guard one through five, he will be one of the most versatile defenders at the NBA the kind of guy you do see on Golden State or Boston or Phoenix, you know, when they throw out these assembly line lineups. Uh, he's also very good. Like, he reminds me on offense a lot of Boris Dio um, because of the size, because he can't really shoot, but he's a great ball handler, very creative. Not great ball handler. He's a good ball handler for his size, very creative passer, uh, like actually can manipulate the defense a little bit. Um, I don't buy the shot at all. But I will say that he had um, he showed some nice like mid range fadeaways, um, which are weird because he's a horrible free throw shooter and he was a terrible sh- three point shooter. So all in all, that gives you the feeling of I just think he's a match made in heaven with the Spurs because of the Dia thing, um, and because they probably have the right kind of player development to eventually get him to like at least be able to hit stationary catch and shoot threes. Um, but. Like, I don't, like, his handle isn't at the level where you, like, want to run your offense through him, right? He's more of, like, an elbow hub kind of guy who the guards can play off of in, like, that Popovich older style offense, you know? Yeah, so... But I you... answer, sorry, the last thing I'll say is mm-hmm. I absolutely do believe in him being able to play small ball five. So, so to me, 
if you think that's a legitimate possibility, um, then you should like he is a player they should seriously consider drafting that at that position or at, at eleven if he's on the board because if he can actually defend. If you're saying that there's like the one to five stuff with him isn't bullshit, I mean. We just, I'm saying there's a chance, and it's not. Yeah, it's not pie in the sky. It's not like us saying Mitchell Robinson can defend one through five, like as a rookie. You know. Um. Yeah. No. No. It's there's that, more to it than that. Yeah, I do get. I do get that you're saying that. Like it's almost like predicting someone to turn out like Luka Doncic, and I get that. But there's a reason it doesn't get thrown out too much. The one to five thing, I'm not going to. How much? Okay. Here's here's another question. How much? Does it matter if he can throw him one through four, but you can't guard him? You can't put him on Jokic. Does that completely change how you view him? Uh, not completely change, no. Yeah. So, what I, I guess I don't focus too much on to the letter of is one through five accurate. It's more, um, you know, can he generally switch? Can he guard of like 75, 80% of the NBA players? Um, you know, those kind of things. Can you also be a havoc off ball? Like those kind of things are, are were. And, and do I think he can line up at the five um, for a coach that has that flexibility? Yes, absolutely. Um. Yeah, that's that's interesting. Uh, all right. I also the reason I don't know if this is the next guy you were going to talk about. The reason why he wouldn't be my top choice in that mold is because the other guy who I think that has been talked about, the switchability, I think has more upside on offense. But I don't know is if that, that was... Tari? That's Tari, yeah. Yeah, so I guess, like, I I, mean, I was talking to Prez a little bit today in the draft channel on, on the Strickland Discord, uh, if you want to subscribe. Uh, but is he... So he's a player... Prez thinks he's he could ostensibly be the next third center next year, uh, if need be, the break-in-case of emergency center. Is that something you're comfortable projecting for him already? As you know, Because he is a sophomore. He's an older sophomore, but he is just a sophomore entering the draft. Is that something that you're comfortable with, or do you are you a little bit lower on him than that? And, like, long-term, as just a projection for him, is small ball five something that you're like, yeah, he's going to be able to do this? Um, I'm pulling up his draft combine. So he measured 6'8 with a 7'2 wingspan. So it is situational. Uh, Sohan did not measure. Um, I would imagine he's a little bit taller than that. Um, but uh, to answer your question, I i mean, who's coaching? <laughs> I, I mean, let's just say it, it doesn't matter that it's – let's say it's just your average NBA coach. So like the average coach in the NBA, do you think they would look at him and be like, he is an option for me if I go small. Yeah, um, especially against, like, in time, do I think he'll be able to guard a guy like Bam? Yeah. Um, he's strong. He plays with a high motor. He needs to cut down on his fouls. But, like, he's the, he's basically the same size as Obi. And what he has over Obi, while he doesn't have that nuclear athleticism, he's a pretty good athlete. And he's much more fluid and flexible. Like, he can play drop, I think. So, um yeah, I think I, but that's not, I mean, that's not really, on defense, there's similarities to Sohan. I think Ezen's a better athlete and a better events generator. Um, Sohan is more disciplined. Um, you know, Ezen can go out of turn control. There is a game where he fouled out in about seven minutes, which is, um, 
I'm not even mad. I'm impressed, right? Um, so it's um, it's he's a little bit more of a wild card in that sense. But on offense, I don't think the upside is really comparable, to be honest. Sohan's a better decision maker. Eason could be turnover prone. We also showed an eyes for some some nice high level passes as well. Um, he's very right hand dominant, um, and you know doesn't have a left hand basically at all. But he can get to the rim. Um, he has a very good ball handling ability um, for a big, and he shot thirty eight percent from three. So all of that I think puts him on a different category of offensive upside from Sohan. And when you have a 6'10 guy with those kind of skills, yeah, I, that's why I did give him the star upset. I said yes when he asked. Yeah, I'm all in on Tarizan. I think if he's there, the 11th pick, they should take him. Um, and that means absolutely nothing. Because again, I know absolutely jack shit about this draft. I understand the appeal of guys like Benedict Matherin and Johnny Davis. And I wouldn't be upset if, the, let's say those two and Tar Eason were on the board at 11, which is very unlikely, by the way, that all three would be on the board. I think Eason almost definitely will be. Um, but if all three were on the board and they just went with one of Matherin or Davis over him, I wouldn't be upset. But, like, to me, a guy like... He's going to drive tips crazy, by the way. He's going to drive all of us crazy. Um, Tari? Yeah, he does. Oh, yeah, yeah. But, like, <laughs> so, like yeah. I think Tibbs would be driven crazy because he sees the defensive upside. Yeah, I'm, I'm talking about decision making on offense. Yeah, like, yeah. like some of those Portis moments we had. Yeah, but like, yeah, like I just look at a player like Tari, and the reason I would take him over Matherin or Johnny Davis is the what you described, um, given his physical tools and what he can do. A player like that just adds dimensions to what you can do as a team. He adds versatility and gives you options. He opens up lineup possibilities that, quite frankly, the Knicks don't have anybody right now that gives you those possibilities. Like, we've all... I think we all would like to see Cam play at the four a little bit. Um, We would like to see Obi and Randall play together if Randall is still here. But, like, even in that Obi-Randall scenario, it, it feels like you're trading off defense to some extent to potentially juice up your offense, right? And... I think the intriguing thing with Tari is is maybe there is no trade-off. Like, like maybe your offense can be better and your defense can stay the same or improve even. And he opens up the possibilities of playing a wing at the four. You know, there's just so many things you can do if that projection of him on a small ball five hits. And that is like, you know, you're looking around the playoffs right now, you know, you've got <clears throat> Dallas, they have Kleba at the five half the time. Golden State for years, obviously, we know Draymond at the five. Uh, you know, we've seen with Boston, they've tried various things like Horford at the five. I think we've even seen some a little bit at times, mostly because of injury issues, but we've seen a little bit of even Grant Williams playing five. Um, Miami obviously has Bam right now as a full-time five, but like these type of players that give you that versatility on defense are so key to being a contender in the NBA at this point. And, you know, I don't think it's a, like, I don't think that's a coincidence. I think that's like a very necessary tool and ability you need to have as a team, which derives from usually an individual player being capable of that. So like, to me, 
a player like Tari Eason, if you can get him at 11, is, is a steal. I mean, not, not because he's 100% going to hit, but like that ability for a player to provide that skill set to me is, you know, short of superstar shot creation upside. It's arguably the most important component of contending rosters. Uh, you know what I mean, Stacey? I know. Yeah, I mean, and to, to, he does have some of that upside. I think, like on offense, it's not you cannot really see a cohesive offensive game yet. This is a very intriguing skill set. He, he he has really good ball handling ability for a big. Um, he he can make some. He's flashed some nice passing ability, uh, and he can shoot a little bit. It's not a it's a low release, um, but like. Prez is a believer in that level of upside too. Um, even without thinking about the small ball five thing, I think it's also just really simple. Like the league is evolving towards if you can get a bunch of six eight, six nine athletic guys who can do all of those things and just throw them out there and worry about the fit later. We've seen it, right? The taller and faster and more agile you can get and have all of those things, you just throw them out there and, and, and the results will fall. I mean, you saw Cleveland do this, we've seen Toronto do this. Um, you know, so I, I think he brings that. A couple other things, reasons for optimism. Um, there's a pretty good. He he played at Cincinnati as a, as a freshman and didn't get a ton of time. But um, you know, there was an article I read a long time ago at Stepien, which had a threshold to basically identify interesting freshmen in terms of creation ability. And some of the thresholds they found were a usage rate of 22 and an assist rate of 12. Like typically, the guys who end up as high creator, high level creators, hit those. And Isa did at 610. Um, his BPM as a freshman is that's another important thing. That was pretty low at 2.7. This year it was a scorching 14.7, which just to that's higher than Franz Wagner. I believe it's higher than Evan Mobley was last year. Um, and I think it's it's just a little bit lower than Chet Holmgren. So he's better than Evan Mobley is what you're saying. You heard it here first. <laughs> no, what I am saying is Evan Mobley really popped when it came to um, BPM, which is kind of which has been a pretty reliable all in. Yeah, it's, he, Evan Mobley was at 13.7, which is a great number, and yet Eason was higher. Um, now I think there are, there is some people have made the case that that's a little bit inflated because of the way that. LSU plays, um, but you know, advanced stats love him, right? He's three point. He had a steal rate of four point five, block rate of six point two. Those are elite numbers. Or the the steal rate is elite. The block rate is very good for a wing, very very good. Um, so you know, you look at all of those things, and there's just a lot of indicators that this guy is going to be a positive, uh, and he has a skill set that that points to some upside. Um, you know, if you kind of develop and develop his offensive game you know yeah um uh, yeah prez has like uh what is it what is it like the 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 blue pill and the red pill what is yeah. it like uh, yeah he he gave me the blue pill i'm a parties and truther nowadays no uh, blue pill means you um blue pill oh, means you back. wake up you're you turn into ralphie cifaretto <laughs> Oh, do I have the same uh, exact personality type and characteristics of Ralphie Sofreda? I think you already do, don't you? <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to prank call uh, Polly Gaultieri's mom now. Um, 
I have Blue no. Cross Blue Shield. <laughs> Still the best part. Uh, I want to wrap up, though, with Malachi Branham because he's a player I have not dug into at all. But I've seen a lot of... He seems like somebody who came on towards the second half of the year. Is that fair to say? Yes. Is So what is it about him that has caused him to kind of... I think a lot of people view him as a sleeper in the sense of somebody who could get drafted later on, but it wouldn't surprise anybody if he turned into like one of the best players in this draft. So what is it about him that is causing people to have this, give him, start giving him attention? And, and I mean, I think you said he had star upside. So I'm curious. Uh, yeah. I mean, I think that depends on if you view someone like Middleton as a star. Um, I do. So if he, if you think he has a Middleton outcome possibility, to me that would be that's a start. Um, he's a couple inches shorter, but so he came. He was a little bit under the radar because he was a highly regarded prospect. But there's levels to it, right? So he was um, to twenty four seven sports. He was the thirty eighth best prospect going into his freshman season. Four star again. Those are the like if you're an Ohio State fan, you know exactly who he is and. You're jumping up and down, but for pro level, that's like, you know, um, it's the same way that Trey Young kind of, no one realized what he, the kind of prospect he was before the season. Uh, what Branham did, and by the way, I don't think he's someone's going to go later in the draft. I would be shocked if he fell out of the top 20. What he has is a ready-made pro scoring skill set. Um, he can legitimately score at three levels. Um, he has the length. He has a 6'11 and a half wingspan. Um, and he can shoot over players. He 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 talked to Schmitz, and he do, he has said that he actually, in many ways, has Pander's game after, after Middleton. Um, he's actually a pretty good passer, um, and and he can get to the rim. And he is um, he. I think also like Johnny Davis, his athleticism is a little bit underrated. And I think that maybe that's a whole Big Ten thing, right? Although, in fairness, the best athlete in the draft by most people's admission also played the Big Ten. So maybe that's but I think Brandon's athleticism is a really is a bit underrated. Um, I think one thing that's really interesting to me is that you can he would regularly guys would bounce off him on his drives and he could really he he was really strong, but he still only weighs one hundred and eighty five pounds. So that's pretty encouraging, right? That you're already pretty strong and there's probably like he has the frame to put on at least twenty pounds more. And that's the reason why people like he could, because if you have a guy that can score at three levels like that and be a good passer and decision maker out of pick and roll and have the length to like not get hunted on defense, like that's what a lot of stars look like, you know, especially the kind who make, um, make a difference in during the playoffs. Is he now, he's the reason, you know, he's not a no doubt about a top 10 guy is because he went to Ohio State. <laughs> of course, because he went to Ohio State. <laughs> he is not a nuclear athlete or like super bursty, right? Is he smooth? Like, does he change pace well? He, he changes pace well, but like he creates space more with craft and because of the length and elevation. Like, he's not, he doesn't blow by dudes a ton, but he has a good manipulation of, um, he can manipulate and change speeds well. Um, a couple of basic moves that he uses pretty effectively off the dribble. Um, and the advanced stats, like, you know, his pick and roll numbers, his volume weren't, wasn't quite as high as some of the other players, but he was very efficient in pick and roll, both as a passer and as a shooter. Uh, he met those usage and assist uh, percentage thresholds I <coughs> mentioned before. Given his tools, <coughs> you would have liked to see him show a little bit more on defense. And he played on a bad defensive team. Uh, Ohio State was not good. 
But um, but again, he's not going to get hunted, and there's some upside maybe if he really gets locked in with his length to be an events generator. He's probably not a guy you want guarding the John Rands of the world, but um, but yeah, I think like he, 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 I think he'll hold up in the playoffs on defense, and I think he has the ability to be legitimately a three level scorer who can run pick and rolls and be a high level secondary, maybe even a primary and a bad team. So that's interesting. Uh, do you think he's in play for the Knicks at eleven, or is that too high? I think they should be looking at it. Um, again, it, it it depends on if they think a guy like I, I. I actually debated with Omar actually a lot about this. Um, in terms of, you know, why, what separates him from Johnny Davis, right? He's younger, similar skill set, actually a little bit better from three. He, he didn't take a ton of threes, but he shot 43%, which is still, you know, Davis needs to expand his range. Um, and I think what it comes down to is I buy Davis's rim pressure at the league more right now. And, um, I, I, I'm not, I don't think, I think Branham also was very personal in his interview with Schmitz. I don't think there's motor issues there, but a guy who shows that level of compete that Davis did on defense, that makes him a little bit cleaner of a pick. And then a guy like Tari, to your point, I do think has a higher upside than Branham. But he should be because they might, they might still feel like, well, Branham has more upside than Davis if you, you know, if you look at the shooting and, and if they buy him as that three level scorer, if he was six, seven, I think it would be, he would be going top 10. The fact is he's 6'5", is a little bit shorter than Middleton. But he should be in play. Um, if they buy that he can give them what their offense needs in terms of a guy who can run pick and rolls, create advantages, um, even if he's not a blow-by guy, uh, and hold up on defense and you know be kind of versatile and allow them to play a lot of different lineups. I don't think that's going to be... like I think he's going to be in play for a team starting from like the 10th pick. Do you buy him... Do you buy upside with him as a playmaker? Yeah. I actually was very impressed with his playmaking. The numbers don't pop, um, but he makes very quick decisions. He's and he, he had a variety of passes. A lot of them were simple ones that were like made simple because it was processing. But like he posted up a lot. He showed the ability to anticipate the double and get it and just and get it you know, like while the double was still happening, he was already a step ahead of the defender. Which would be nice if you've watched certain players in the next post up. Um, and he's really effective out of the pick and roll. Like he's shown the ability to make some wow passes. Uh, it just wasn't like they didn't run their offense through him until later in the season. Um, Liddell was more of the guy, um, and they didn't have a ton of talent in Ohio State. It was really Liddell, Branham, and then a guy named Kyle Young who'll probably end up with a good career in Europe and like was a solid like top one hundred recruit. But other than that, Ohio State really didn't have much. So. All that considered, I was pretty impressed with Branham's passing. Do I think he has? Do I see him as like the best, the primary option on championship team? No, but able to like be a very good number two. Yeah, I, I think that's his potential. Um, all right, last thing I want to ask you about is I saw what's his name, Bryce McGowan's. Um, what do you think about him? Because I. I Caught a little bit of him in Big Ten play this year. I think just I was pretty impressed um, with his ability to just kind of create off the bounce, get to the rim. Uh, I see him projected more as a late first, but he's—I mean, he's young. You know, he's nineteen, freshman, true freshman. I don't know if he measured at the combine. Uh, Tankathon has him as six six and a half, six eight, basically a six nine wingspan. 
is this a is this a guy you like, or do you think he's projected right where you'd have him? I like him a lot. I would probably have him top twenty. Um. So, it, yeah, I mean, so I I've also had to be a little balance myself a little bit better because uh, one of the games I watched very closely of McGowan's killed Michigan. Um, yeah, he did. He's shit on us. <laughs> um, and he basically, I mean, now it, that's what happens when you try to guard him with, um, um, with Eli Brooks. Um, the um, so the downside is he wasn't efficient, but he can get he can shoot over guys in the mid range. I asked Prez if DeRozan's a good comp. Um, I don't think he's that level of athlete, but he's pretty athletic. His measurements weren't great. I thought he could end up measuring something like 6'8". I think he ended up being closer to 6'6", six, six, which is nitpicky, but when your game... This is why it does matter for Branham, whether he's 6'5 or 6'7". Uh, when your game is predicated on shooting over people, those inches matter. Uh, pause, whatever. Um, and then... Um, and then... But what's there to like? He's going to be able to create his own shot. Um, vol- the question is, will he just be volume or will he be efficiency? Um, but that's the thing. Premiums is, um, scoring is a premium skill. If you can get to the rim, if you have the length to finish, if you can score in the mid range, not because like it's a lost art, but because now more and more, like that's all defenses will give you. You have to be able to, to take advantage of that. And if you buy the mid range shot, which I do, you can buy that his three point percentages will be better. Um, his efficiency was brutal, but he played on a team that didn't have a ton of talent and his decision making will drive you crazy. But, uh, in a more structured offense where he's kind of asked to limit his role and play a certain role. Um, you know, the, t- the talent is is very enticing. Like, And again, like it's the same thing that came with Brandon. Like, when you can score at three levels and you have wing size, you are always going to get lottery talk. Um, and that's really the case with him. You'd like if he did something else at a high level, wasn't a good defender, um, you know, wasn't a great playmaker. But, you know, that alone is, that's what's causing the, the combination of size and, and scoring versatility, even with the results aren't great, is what has people high on him. And I get it. And I think he'll, like, I mean, I, he's a guy that you probably want to do workouts with. You want to get to know him. Like, does he want to be great? Because if he wants to be, he can. Uh, and if you buy that, you know, I could see a team really liking him in the lottery. So Interesting. Uh, all right. I think that's a good place to end it. Unless you have anything else or anybody else you want to discuss. Yeah, there is one player um, yep. who I've been thinking about more. Um, Prez is really in on him. Have you heard much about Jalen Williams? I have heard enough about him the last couple of days to be an expert on him now. Uh, no, I, I look, he, he obviously measured in fantastically with Combine. He also had a high vert, yeah. But yeah, his skill set is really impressive for a player his size, and I think he he killed the uh, the scrimmage, I believe. Also, yeah, he played it. So, and I will say this: the Knicks have valued the scrimmage previously. Um, I think Grimes was incredible. I think he won like the player of the yeah combine or something. And last the year. second best one was the other guy they were rumored to take there was Bones, right? Right. They, they loved Bones, so yeah. So, like, I think the Knicks care about. The Knicks definitely care about the combine. They care about the testing. Like, quickly, um, I don't think he played in the scrimmage, or I'm not sure if he did or not, but I know he was one of the best at the... Uh, they have a, there's, like, this five-star shooting drill they do at the combine. He was 
he finished, he had the second best record in that out of all prospects. So like they put value in the combine for sure. And, um, you know, look, Jalen Williams is what, six, what is he, six nine? Is that right? No, uh, he's, um, he measured in, I believe, at six five, six five point seven five, but his wingspan was about seven foot two. Yeah. Um, which is crazy. longer than Draymond Green's wingspan. So he basically, like, he's obviously not that big, but. Uh, so you're like, saying he's better than Draymond. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, but I think what's really impressive to me too is like, so he had a 39-inch vertical. Um, it doesn't look like he cheated on his standing reach, but his standing reach was like, um, I think it was like eight, nine and a half. So he has the standing reach of like basically a four. Um, and, you know, his, I think that vert probably overstates what you actually see in game in terms of athleticism. Um, I think it shows up more in blocks than like Yaman on dudes. But he, um, I said, this, I said this in our chat, and Omar just clowned me for it. But in terms of his game, I think he has he has really he's a really good ball handler, but he plays a very slow and methodical pace. Um, and it's not necessarily because I think he lacks quickness, but I think I think the combination of strength and quickness is really tough to to defend. Right, even if someone isn't Shaq but you know they can back you down, then you have to brace yourself for it. What happens when you brace yourself for someone to kind of to try to back you down? That's when you're, you're, you're rigid and you cannot um, react to a spin or to a blow-by, right? Um, and when you, the player can pull up or has range, which Jalen Williams does, it makes him very difficult to defend. And that's why I think he's methodical because he can threaten all of those things at once. And if you watch him pick and roll, I don't think he's quite this level of passer or close to it. Um, he's obviously not that level of shooter. He's not even that big, but his style reminds me a little bit of Luka Doncic. Um, so like in that methodical way where I think, you know, he'll be able to get to his spots. He can pretty much attack you in any way he needs to. And he has a combination of length, quickness, handling, um, and size and strength, right? It's not that he's super quick, but he's quick enough at that level of strength that he becomes really tough to defend. That's, I mean, it's a lot of upside there. I think the only question for me really is, there's two questions, uh, which are pretty related. Uh, he played at Santa Clara, so besides Gonzaga, not really the highest level of competition. And he has, um, I think in terms of players drafted with a BPM less than seven upperclassmen, uh, CJ Marchesani, friend of the pod, uh, put out a list. Uh, they were basically all busts. Now, most of them were bigs. There are only like two wings on the list. And I think they both played at good schools. So if you're on a good team, your BPM tends to be higher. So if you had a low BPM despite, I think Tyrion Prince was one and he was on a pretty stacked Baylor team. That's more concerning. It's not like Santa Clara was very good. So that's probably a good reasoning behind Williams. But um, other than that, I mean, if you watch the guy play, like he is probably, like, I think he made a lot of fans. The measurables are there. The skill set is there. Um and, and, no, and then there is one other question. I mean, on the kind of BPM note, his defense wasn't great. Um, I think I liked what I saw off ball. Uh, I think he's a guy that was asked to play a lot of two guard. He's not great at guarding ones and twos. But uh, if he plays the three or even the four, which I think that's another reason his measurements were so encouraging. Um, I think you know he can he can do a good job off ball and create events. And do all of that. But I think, you know, the counterpoint, I think PD tweeted tweeted about this, but like if someone has elite measurables and they're a bad defender, like we think, oh yeah, like they were bad in college, but look how tools they are. 
often you should say, if they're this toolsy, why were they so bad in college, right? So it, it's kind of an eye of the beholder thing there. Um, but I think at the very least, Williams should be the kind of guy with his off-ball feel and gifts shouldn't won't get hunted in the playoffs. Um, and I think on offense... You know, so you like Williams in his role. Yeah. But on <laughs> offense, he... So he, he, he can be that kind of wing who can play the three and four on the Knicks, allow them to throw out some supersized lineups. And he gives you that three-level scoring ability. And he has legitimately deep range. So... Um, those are the kind of players you look at as potential stars. So, and I think, yeah, he has that. I mean, would I bet on it? Do I think it's like he should go top five or something? No. Do I think there's some legitimate concerns? Yeah. But there's a lot of reasons to be enthusiastic about him. Uh, all right. Cool. Yeah, I, he's very interesting. Obviously, the eye of the vulgar stuff is definitely accurate also. But there's there's just a lot of talent that's just like oozing when you watch his game tape. So, um very interested to see where he ends up. I think he's a guy that I would not be surprised if some team pulls the trigger on him like 14, 15, 16. 11? Like maybe. Maybe. Uh, you never know. I mean, I, I would guess that the Knicks would try to move down and take him if he was ultimately their target because they would guess that they could get him at a lower range and maybe accumulate future assets in some capacity. But um, we'll see how that goes. All right. That is our show for today. Uh, Stacy, thank you. And uh, plug anything you'd like to plug and let people know where they can find you. Um, yeah, the only thing, I have a piece coming out on Keegan Murray later this week, who's probably outside of a range, but wrote it before the lottery uh, and we're putting out a lot of great content on on the Strickland for the draft. Uh, so follow, in addition to myself, Prez, Alex, Draft Film School, uh, Tyrese, uh, a lot of Oscar a lot of content coming out in the coming weeks. Awesome. Looking forward to that. Uh, I'm not surprised that you're writing a piece about a power forward <laughs> for the draft. Uh, I have nothing myself to plug. Uh, I guess you know, I'll plug uh, the pod that I did, strip and roll that I did with uh, Danny Morang uh, about the Blazers. That was a lot of fun. Uh, a lot of good information in there, tidbits about the Knicks also. Uh, and I'll plug all the other draft stuff and all the work really at Strickland uh, that's coming out so that is our show for today uh, I hope everybody has a wonderful wonderful week and I will see you on Friday Our house is a mess. Come on in. I'm Amber Wallen, internet comedian, plant queen, and host of your new favorite podcast, Fly on the Wild. Okay, that's pretty presumptuous to assume that this is going to be their favorite podcast, by the way. Like, come on, Amber. Anyway, that wasp that you just heard interrupt me is my husband. And co-host, Benjamin Wallen, also a comedian, and I host people at our home. I have a great wine collection in my cellar. Well, you it's mean a cellar. the mini fridge. It's a mini fridge. It's a mini yeah. fridge. New 
new episodes of Fly on the Wallin drop every Wednesday. Listen in as we discuss relationships, books, and keeping our sweet baby kid alive while we make laughs on the internet. Subscribe to Fly on the Wallin wherever you get your podcasts.